I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you, but now I'm going to him who sent me and none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe me, believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Now, um, apparently the big news for the past week or so, the really big news in current affairs has been the season two finale of Traitors. Now, before you panic, I haven't seen a single episode of this. Has anybody watched any of this? I hear that some people have been into this. Great, good, a few. Um, so here's the setup. I haven't seen it, but I've, I've been hearing bits about it on the radio and stuff over the course of the week. And basically the deal is this. They get, I don't know, like 12 or, or various kind of contestants come, and they're left alone in a Scottish castle with only Claudia Winkleman for company, okay? So that's the setup. And so they're there, and they have to do a series of challenges. But amongst them, unknown to them, are a series, a couple of traitors, people whose job is, who, 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 are, who are the traitors. And the idea is that the traitors, who they don't know, are there trying to eliminate the others. And the question is, who will make it through to the end? And so over the course of the series, you've got these guys called, basically everybody else is called the faithful. So you've got the faithful there. And they need to um, basically work through different challenges all the time, looking over their shoulders, wondering, uh, who can I trust? Will I make it through to the end? You know, they need to team up together. They need to decide, who can I trust? Who is it around me who might stop me getting through? Who is faithful? And who is living a lie? Now, as I was hearing about this on the radio, like over the course of the week, people talking about it and creating all kinds of fuss. Ooh, I can't believe it was so and so. Okay, I, have, I don't know who it was, just in case you're very nervous that I'm about to give the game away. Um, but it reminded me a little bit about Jesus' words that we've been hearing um, over the course of the past couple of weeks in John chapter 14 onwards. You remember how we've seen this bit of John in the run-up to John, um, John 1 to 13, we've been seeing Jesus as the Son from the Father. And now in chapter 14 onwards, it's saying, Jesus saying, as the Son from the Father, I'm returning to my Father. And chapter 14, Jesus has said, look to his disciples, look to his faithful, look, I'm going. 
And chapter 15, saying, I'm going, chapter 15, stay faithful to me. And then in chapter 16, last week, we heard Jesus say, okay, I'm going, stay faithful to me. But as you stay faithful to me, you're going to be at odds with the world around you. The same world that rejected me is going to reject you. And so the disciples might then feel themselves a bit like that faith, those faithful in that castle. Somehow like we've been left alone and we need to just work out. Are we going to make it through to the end? Now that might be what, what, what they feel. It might be what we fear the Christian life is like. That somehow I've been left on my own. I've got to make my way through. I need to stay faithful but am I going to make it through to the end? And Jesus' words this morning, they speak into that fear. Jesus' words this morning speak into that feeling. And they seek to say, these words Jesus says to us, his disciples, his faithful, he says, you are not alone. I haven't left you alone. Jesus says, I have not left you alone. When I'm gone... The Holy Spirit, or to use the words of the passage, the helper will come. And he will come and he will confront the world around you. And he will comfort you, my people. So that's his encouragement. So look at that passage, that um, verse 4, it really picks up halfway through verse 4 on, on page 10. Um, 88. And, and Jesus speaks to his disciples and he promises them that they will, that we will not be left alone when he's gone. He says, when I'm gone, I will send the Holy Spirit. The helper will come. Let's first listen to what Jesus says in verse 4 and then verse 6. Take a look at that with me. He says in verse 4, look, I didn't say these things to you, these things that he's just said, because you didn't know, need to know about it until now. And then jump down to verse 6. But I have said these things to you, and sorrow fills your heart. These things that Jesus has just said is what we heard over the course of the end of chapter 15, where Jesus said, look, stay faithful to me, but as you stay faithful to me, the world will reject you like the world rejected me. And Jesus says, verse 4, look, I didn't talk about it before because you didn't know it until now. And verse 6, now you do know it's made you sad. And so Jesus says in verse 4, look, you're now facing a new situation. Verse 6, it's a hard situation. But in the midst of that, verse 5, okay, comes in between, this is how you're going to get your bearings. This is how you're going to be able to cope. As I say these things to you in 4 and 6, you need to know this thing in verse 5. And the thing you need to know is where I'm going. Look at what he says in verse 5. But now I am going to him who sent me. And yet none of you asks me, where are you going? Now, since, since chapter 13, Jesus has said that he is going. He's been speaking to his disciples that, that they might live for him with him gone from them. But up to this point, the disciples have been wrestling with the fact that Jesus is going. The disciples have been wrestling with why it might be that Jesus is going. But here Jesus says, to understand 
the fact that I'm going. To understand why I'm going, you need to understand where I'm going. You need to understand where it is. Now, you might remember, right back in chapter 13, Peter had asked, and a bit later, Thomas and Philip asked, kind of, Jesus, where are you going? But, but when they asked that, that question was much more about his departure than about his destination, about his departure than his destination. You can imagine kids, you know, um, uh, in, in the evening, the parents are heading out. They're saying, by the way, we're heading out for dinner. We're heading out to a restaurant. The kids go, where are you going? They don't really want to know. We're heading to that really nice Chinese place that's got this really good. No, they want to know, why are you going and when will you be back? And, and that's kind of what the cry of the disciples have been a bit like now. You know, why are you going? What are you doing? And Jesus says, to understand why I'm going, you need to understand where I'm going. And so, verse 4 again, in the midst of a new situation... Verse 6, in the midst of sorrow and struggle, verse 5, you need to understand, verse 5, I am going to him who sent me. I am going to my father. That's what he goes on to say in verse 28, jump across the page. I've come from my father and now I'm leaving the world to go to the father. Jesus says, you'll only understand my departure if you understand my destination. I'm going to the Father. And going to the Father makes all the difference because, jump down now to verse 7, what does it mean Jesus will do? Verse 7, it is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But here's the thing, if I go, when I go to the Father, I will send the Helper to you. I will send the Holy Spirit to you. Now, all the way since chapter 14, Jesus has promised that when he goes to the Father, he will send the Holy Spirit. So no need to flick it up, but chapter 14, 16, and 17, he sends out, the Father, when I go, will send the Holy Spirit, the Helper. 14, 26, the Father that will send the Helper and the Spirit. 15, 26, again, the Helper, who is the Spirit, will come when I go to the Father. But here, Jesus says something more. Not just when I go, I will send the Holy Spirit. He says, I have to go to send the Holy Spirit. I must return to the Father to then send the Holy Spirit from the Father. Now, throughout the Old Testament, God's kingdom comes. God's new world begins when God pours out his Holy Spirit. God's king reigns. God's king saves by sending his Holy Spirit. So Jesus is saying, when I go, I go to the Father. Uh, uh, When I go, I'm going to my throne. When I go, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit because because when I go, my kingdom has begun. To understand my departure, you need to understand my destination. I'm going to my throne so that my kingdom might begin. I'm going to the Father so I will send my Holy Spirit. Now we're kind of used to this idea, aren't we? So you could think, um, last year, the king had to leave Buckingham Palace to receive his crown in Westminster Abbey. 
later on, at some point this year, a prime minister will leave his... I took a photo, zoomed out, so no one would know. I didn't want to provoke any reactions. The, the prime minister would have to uh, leave his constituency to go to the palace to be asked to form a government. At the beginning of next year, the president... Um, I know American politics is also controversial, so this is Franklin Roosevelt, 1945. Okay, let's keep safe. Um, before the inauguration, he stays at a place called Blair House. He has to leave Blair House to go to Capitol Hill in order to be sworn in as president. Okay? In the same way, Jesus, when he goes to the Father, is going to receive his crown. He's going to his throne. So when he goes to the Father, his kingdom will begin. And his kingdom begins as the Holy Spirit comes. Jesus says, it's good that I'm going because I go to my throne and from that throne will come the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus explains two things that the Holy Spirit will do when he comes. So have a look at how, how it carries on. Verses 8 to 11, Jesus says, when the Holy Spirit comes, he will come and he will confront the world. Or to use the word, words of verse 8, he will convict the world. Confront or convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. In other words, he will expose and confront the world for its rejection of Jesus as king. Like a light shining in the shadows, it exposes things that are there but might have stayed hidden. And so we trace those out in verses 9 to 11. So he exposes the fact of verse 9 that sin is not believing in Jesus. Sin is not believing in Jesus because verse 10, true righteousness, true rightness is recognizing that Jesus is who he said he was the one from the Father, the one enthroned as king with the Father. And, and if sin is not believing in Jesus, verse 9, and verse 10, righteousness is recognizing the truth that Jesus is who he said he was, verse 11, as the Holy Spirit comes, that shows that his kingdom has begun, judgment has been given, the verdict has been handed down could trace it out this way. Because the Holy Spirit has come, the lie has been exposed as it, as it confronts the truth, as it shows the truth. And so, verse 11, judgment is declared. As Jesus sends the Holy Spirit in verse 8, he shows who he said he was, the Son exalted by the Father. The verdict has been given. Rebellion stands condemned. Now, I don't know if you guys uh, know the story of, and forgive my uh, Japanese pronunciation, apologies to anybody who speaks Japanese here, but the soldier Hiru Onoda, okay? He's a Japanese soldier who um, was posted to a Filipino island in 1944, just as the um, Americans were coming, and he was posted there with orders to um, not surrender, and he was there and kind of left stranded on his own, um, even after 1945, when the Japanese Empire surrendered, he remained in post. And he heard the news in 1945. Leaflets were dropped saying, the war has ended. The emperor has surrendered. 
but he refused to believe them. And then in 1952, they kept trying to bring him in and kept trying to, they, they, um, they dropped leaflets, letters from his family, photos of his family, um, photo with news of what the situation was. That was in the 1950s. It wasn't until 1974 that he finally surrendered. So the last Japanese soldier surrendered in 1974, 20 years after his empire had been defeated. And the allies had been victorious. Jesus is saying the fact that the Holy Spirit has come means that Jesus' kingdom has begun. And, And the work of the Holy Spirit, when he comes, is to proclaim that rebellion against King Jesus must end. The the fact that the Holy Spirit has come shows that King Jesus is enthroned and the work of the Holy Spirit is to proclaim that the King is on his throne, rebellion must come to an end. And so to ignore Jesus, to reject Jesus, is to live like that Japanese soldier. To live like him, kind of hiding, you know, that the fact that, that those leaflets fall and have come or, or troops out to search for him, the fact that they're there, well, they show that his fight has been lost. And the work of those leaflets or those troops out to find him, they, their work is to proclaim that the fight has been lost, to call him to surrender and to the new life that is open to him. And so, friends, brothers and sisters, as we go to school this week, as we go to work this week, as we're with family or as if we're friends, the temptation to turn from Jesus or to live like he is not on the throne, well, that is like a temptation to team up with that Japanese soldier hiding in the jungle. The Holy Spirit has come, and that is evidence that Jesus' kingdom has begun. And as the Holy Spirit comes, he proclaims that the kingdom has begun, the rebellion must end. Or or, or to take these words, verse 9, the Holy Spirit proclaims that to reject Jesus is to live a lie. Because, verse 10, Jesus is the Son of the Father exalted to the throne. And so the verdict stands, verse 11. Judgment is on a rebellion against Jesus. You see, the faithful, the faithful can stand firm. The faithful can stand firm because Jesus the King has sent his Holy Spirit to confront the world. But as the Holy Spirit confronts the world, the Holy Spirit is at work to comfort, to comfort his disciples. It's as if just those bits that we've just seen in verses 8 to 11, the Holy Spirit is proclaiming to the world, you're living a lie, you're living a lie. That's 8 to 11. But now in 12 to 15, the Holy Spirit comforts Jesus' people saying, you're living the truth. You're living the truth. Stand firm. Stay faithful. So Jesus says that I have more to say to you, but the Holy Spirit will comfort you, will bring you that truth. And, and verse 13 and verse 14 and 15, like together they say the same thing. Sort of twice. We see it in 13, then 14 and 15. So, so look at verse 13. Jesus is speaking to his disciples then. And the work of the Holy Spirit 
for those disciples then was to lead them into the truth of what was to come. So Jesus says, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you, the disciples then, into all truth. And look at the way the verse ends, he will declare to you the things that are to come. And so as those disciples then, as they saw Jesus die, as they saw Jesus rise, and as they saw Jesus ascend to the Father, the Holy Spirit would give them the truth of what it all meant. And so in verse, verse 13, verse 14 and 15, Jesus says the same thing again. He says, the Holy Spirit would give these disciples the truth from Jesus so that they would know the truth about Jesus. So verse 14, he will glorify me for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said, he will take what is mine and declare it to you. He'll take what is mine, the truth from Jesus, and pass it on. And that truth from Jesus, what is mine, is the truth about Jesus, that Jesus is God's loved son, his king. So these disciples then are given this truth, and those disciples then give us this Bible. They give us this truth in the Bible. The disciples are led into all truth. And we are led into that truth. These words written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit come to us by the power of the Holy Spirit. They bring to us the truth about Jesus in verse 13. They do that, verse 14, for the glory of Jesus. And that's the longing of John as he writes these words. We could just see some words that he ends, um, with which he ends his, his gospel, with this, this book, this account. Um, in, in chapter 20, verses um, 30 to 35, John says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and by believing you may have life in his name. Or, or some of the last words of his book. He says, uh, this is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things, and we know that his testimony is true. See, these words of Jesus, this promise in verses 12 to 15, these words were spoken to these disciples, but they were recorded by John so that the disciples today, you and I, so that we might trust and believe the words that were written. The Holy Spirit led the disciples into all truth, and we are called to trust in that truth. They were given this truth, and then they give us this truth in the Bible. And so the comfort for disciples today is to know that the disciples then were led into all truth. And because the disciples then were led into all truth, we can entrust ourselves to this truth. Now, just an aside, um, to glance to um, verse 13, that about the Spirit guiding you into all truth. Some people might use this as a promise to all Christians individually. 
But if that's a genuine Christian, sorry, if that's a um, general promise to all Christians individually, I mean, that might sound fun, but it is no comfort whatsoever. Because if it's to all Christians individually, then those disciples then weren't led into all truth then. It can't offer us any comfort or any confidence. If it's about you and me needing to find the truth, then we're left right back where we began with no comfort and no confidence. But if they were given all truth, then we can have all truth to comfort us and give us confidence. The promise that Jesus gave to the disciples then gives us great confidence and comfort today. The words of John were written by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and so they come to us in the power of the Holy Spirit. They bring the truth about Jesus, as it says in verse 13, to the glory of Jesus, verse 14, as they proclaim, verse 15, that Jesus is the Son of the Father. Over the past week, I, um, I, there were like train strikes and I found myself taking kind of different ways into, into town. I don't know if you've ever had that moment. You're um, on a different platform trying to get a different train that you're not used to. And you have that moment as the, as the, as the train opens, you're standing there going, is this the right train? And, and you, you've got to make a call, don't you? You have about 30 seconds to decide. Because if I miss it, that's a real pain in the neck. I've missed the train I needed. But if I'm on it and it closes and it says, you're actually off to, you know, the other, oh my goodness, that's so annoying. And so you have that moment, you have the readout that comes out on the platform or on the train. And annoyingly, it always begins with, welcome to this Southeast. No, no, get on, get on, get on with it. We hope you enjoy. Yes, get on, get on. Tell me where I'm going. And so you look up and you see, oh, that's where I'm going. Yes, I can commit. The door's closed and I can relax. Or I'm on there, I see it on the readout in the carriage and I go, I'm on the right track. I can relax. I can entrust myself. I'm on the right track. Well, look, as Christians, we won't commit. We won't commit to Jesus if we're uncertain about Jesus. The Holy Spirit has come and he has led these disciples into all the truth about Jesus. And he is at work now to lead us into that truth that he shared with them. And so we don't need to be one foot on, one foot off, uncertain and uneasy. Yeah, we don't, we don't need to have that sense of, am I gonna be on the right track or will I be wasting my time? But instead, like a passenger, seeing their route on that display, we can know we're on the right track. We can know we're heading the right way. We can settle in because Jesus will bring us home. Jesus is on his throne and he sends his Holy Spirit to comfort his people to say, as we listen to his words, you are living the truth. You can trust these words. You can entrust yourselves to these words. So keep trusting in Jesus. Stay faithful to Jesus. The Holy Spirit led these disciples into all truth about him. And so it is his work to lead us into the truth 
shared by them here in the Bible. So the faithful in that TV show, they don't, they don't know who to trust. They don't know where to turn. But the thing is, as the audience, we do, right? We know. And, and as you watch the TV show, apparently part of the fun is sort of shouting at the TV going, don't trust them. No, do. Do team up with them. You'll be okay. Stick with these guys. You'll be fine. Well, Jesus is giving us a spoiler in his words here. He wants us to live not like those contestants, unsure who to trust. Will I make it through to the end? He wants us to live like the audience. Yeah, we can know who to trust as we stay faithful. We are not on our own. Jesus' words come to us. They come to us to warn us. Jesus' words come to us to encourage us. The Holy Spirit has come, and he has come to confront the world and to comfort his disciples. Let's pray and give thanks that he is at work among us now. Jesus said, If I go, I will send him. I will send the Holy Spirit to you. Father God, thank you that the Lord Jesus kept that promise. Thank you that we are not alone, that, we, that he has sent his Holy Spirit. Father God, please would we not be tempted then to turn from him and follow a lost cause. Please would we see the lie for what that is and know the truth for what it is that the Lord Jesus is your son, that we might glorify him, entrust ourselves to him, and stay faithful this week and to the end of our days. In Jesus' name, amen.